Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Anisha Kony, Patrick Maguire, and John Ellidge. So we thought we'd bring on some of our other regular podcast ease in order that you could get to see their faces as well as hear their angelic voices. John, let's start off. Why don't you tell us who your heroes and villains of 2018 were? Okay, I like that I get to go first because this means I can go with the villain of my all-time favourite, Mr. Chris Grayling, <laughs> who miraculously still has a job. Unlike a lot of the people reliant on the train network he's responsible for, I suspect. But it's just, it's baffling, isn't it? How, like, what do you have to do to get fired from this, like, trash fire of a government? <laughs> <laughs> that was an actual question. Like, please, somebody tell me. Uh, Anoush, do you have a hero or villain? Well, my slightly left-field villain is Ed Miliband. Ooh. Yeah. So for those of you who... There's who an actual hiss there. Yeah. A lot of big Ed Miliband fans in tonight. I that would be controversial, tonight. but for those of you who don't follow this sort of afterlife of failed former Labour leaders, unlike me, um, you nerds, why don't you? He has sort of reinvented himself post his Labour leadership life as this kind of class clown, cutesy sort of person who does a podcast called Reasons to be Cheerful. He, he presented the Jeremy Vine show and did some heavy metal throat screaming, and everyone thought it was hilarious. And then the most recent example was the uh, Christmas card released from his office, which was... Do you remember the Edstone? Does anyone remember that strange sort of tombstone which he'd whittled his policies into in 2015? <laughs> um, he mocked that up with David Cameron's now notorious tweet, which was, choose strong and stable government with me or chaos with Ed Miliband. And it was, you know, obviously objectively quite funny, but then you just think, Ed Miliband, if you were this funny and engaging when you were Labour leader, we wouldn't be in this mess in the first place. So that's why he is my villain of, of 2018 and 2015 and 2016. Right, okay. <laughs> in retrospect, I feel like the Ed Stone was the kind of harbinger of when British politics went la-la. Yeah. That was the last sane moment when you went, well, this is crazy, and then... Everything from then was crazy. Yeah, because basically the coalition years were kind of like you know when you're like, oh god, it's clearly going to like clearly bad things are, are happening. There's rain over the, this. This can't end well. Yeah, uh, but it was just a kind of feeling of of dread that you know there were obviously going to be terrible consequences. And now every morning you're just like, oh, rough sleeping's up by X. Oh, we're a hundred days away from No Deal. It's like, ah, oh, I really miss when I was just worrying about the rain as opposed to drenched, drenched by the rain. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, the, the chaos with Ed Miliband meme it really annoys me because of when people like the FT or the Economist share it, going, <laughs> it's just like, guys, you endorse David Cameron. 
you endorsed David Cameron explicitly saying that you thought that the risk of a 50p rate was higher than the chances of us leaving the EU and the consequences of more <laughs> Osbonomics. That it's just like people who don't get to laugh about it, people who endorse David Cameron and people who worked for Ed Miliband. And the rest of us were can Ed Miliband. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. If you're a literal Ed Miliband, you're not allowed to laugh about it. Patrick, do you have a hero or villain? I have a villain. So it's slightly solipsistic, but sort of what... It's not going to be Stephen, is it? Well, <laughs> what isn't in political journalism? No, despite the fact that Stephen makes me go and buy a mechanic Coke from the parliamentary canteen every day, I accept that. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, an, that's an HR matter, I think. No, no, he bought, he, he bought, me, he bought me a can today. Uh, anyway, my villain is Ian Blackford, because... Explain who Ian Blackford is, Ian Blackford, just on the off I, if, if the audience don't know who Ian Blackford is, I really, really envy you. <laughs> so so the, he's the SNP's leader in Westminster. Angus Robertson, you know, forensic questioner, has been replaced with this, I suppose, goon who uh, gets up at about, I don't know, given how long Burko keeps going for, about half five every Wednesday to give his two <laughs> questions. And every Wednesday without fail, they are... He's stopped doing this, but, I mean, this is just my personal resentment. Without fail, no matter what the news agenda was, you know, Robertson would always do really forensic, precise questions on foreign affairs. Ian Blackford, I'm sure, you know, he has a duty to do this as a rural MP in Highland Scotland, but would always demand that the CEO of RBS was summoned to Parliament. I'm just so sick of hearing it that I feel, <laughs> felt impelled to share this with you. Well, that, that's, I'm pleased because that's a niche. I mean, I've, I'm not to shade John's Chris Grayling, but come on, a bit obvious. A bit on the nose, John. <laughs> the basic bitch of political villains. I mean, I could just pick... I could, I could go, like, Harriet Harman and then just make something up and, then, and, and really upset you, but I'm not going to because I would never say anything about St. <laughs> Harriet. Um, is there anything else you'd next year that anyone would like to stop, just not happen anymore? Brexit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> People saying we should stop Brexit. Yeah, yeah. I'd like that to stop. <laughs> the hashtag FPPE. Sorry. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> uh, now it's time for our first dead audience. <laughs> <show>. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, I really thought for a moment you were going to come out as a Brexiteer then. I thought this was your... You spent too much time with the DUP. Not yet. Not yet. I'm going to nominate... I'm going to mention some other people I had listed as potential heroes or villains, and I would like you to say whether or not you think they are a hero or a villain. I can start you off easy. Jacob Rees-Mogg. Confessional well, secret love of Jacob I was, trying now, to think, I was trying to think of a sort of controversial way of saying he was a hero, but no, he is just a, a standout villain of 2018, isn't he? Okay. Um, I think Patrick has described him as the Tory Corbyn, yeah. <laughs> which is because he's, he's sort of like the ideal and extreme opposite of Jeremy Corbyn, isn't he, for the Conservative Party? He's just like this kind of cartoon, sort of vampire butler-type conservative villain who's always, who's always spouting sort of Latin phrases, and everyone's like, oh, yes, an honourable man. And it's like, well, he's just saying one thing one day and one thing the other. The most recent example, telling us that Theresa May should go to the Queen and hand in her resignation, and then a few days later he's saying, oh, well, you know, she has my support. <laughs> Edwardian funeral director... That's yeah, what yeah. I always think every time I see him. Okay, um, Stephen, Nick Timothy. <laughs> I mean, I have a great affection for everyone who's threatened to sue me. Um, but, uh, <laughs> him, Stephen Kinnock. Uh, yeah. One day I have a list. One day these revenge will come. But I actually feel oddly sorry for Nick Timothy, right? Go on. Because, despite the many terrible things he uh, has done and enacted, I just feel... Imagine, like, doing so badly and learning nothing from it, right? I mean, this thing's mostly, when you look back at a bad time in your life, you're like, well, at least I learned, you know, actually, eyebrows can catch fire. Um, 
or whatever, right? Nick Timothy has learned nothing. Nick Timothy is the man who takes the tray out of the oven without oven gloves every time. Yeah. Although, so, yeah, exactly, right? That, that, that is Nick Timothy. Oh, it's fine. I don't need to pull, peel back the bit on the, before I take it out of the microwave. I'll just peel back out the thing when I take it out of the microwave. And then he writes a strongly worded telegraph piece about how, you know, actually it was liberals' fault and he, uh, and he didn't touch the thing. I think Jacob rees Mogg's had a really interestingly bad week because his appeal to, his message to the Conservative Party was basically, I'm your Corbyn, I'm authentic, I have a quality that makes people want to, you know, find out yeah. what I'm, I'm like. And then what he essentially revealed is that he, although, of course, uh, over the last three years, Corbyn has become more of a kind of commercialised product. I can't believe I'm literally sitting here going, Corbynism used to be so authentic, but now, <laughs> now they've got T-shirts. So, so commercialised. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he, he's basically revealed what was always true, which is that, you know, this whole kind of like, oh, you know, I, I have these weird ill-fitting suits and I kind of look like, you know... I'm, I'm a, on a penny farthing. I mean, like the poshest, posh cousin of the Adams family, right? All, that whole routine has been revealed to be entirely false this week, the second he wasn't really getting what his, he wanted. And it, that's, I think Dentist is standing among Conservative MPs, including ones who broadly agree with him, and it's hurt this idea that he is authentic, because he's not, right? It's, it's artifice. The most scathing thing I've heard about Jacob Rees-Mogg from a Tory MP, and it would make no sense to, I suppose, like, you know, the 99% or whatever, they just sort of very archly and icely said, his father went to Charterhouse and married his secretary. <laughs> <laughs> And it was said with such intonation that I thought, oh, wow, that sounds, that sounds like it's bad, I, I suppose. <laughs> I'm sure that has a real uh, I meaning bet it's one for... of those things that, like, Charterhouse is like, oh, it's like the public school that you get, ooh, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, which is MPSIA, minor public school, I'm afraid. Mm. It's one of those things that, like, <laughs> to normal people, you go, wow, Charterhouse, that's an incredibly posh school. Like, everyone there must have a horse. But, it, to, you know, to really posh people, it's, like, not quite posh enough. Which is why Jeremy Hunt will never be Prime Minister. He I went to Charterhouse. I oh, do actually Carthusian. genuinely believe this to be true, right? Hang on, did he go to Charterhouse and marry his secretary? No. Oh. <laughs> hmm. What was the link then? It's a bit racist, isn't it? You just assume that she must be a secretary. <laughs> and now it's time for our second dead audience joke. Um, In my defence, he didn't appear to remember whether or not she was Chinese or Japanese, so really he opened that can of worms himself. But why, why won't Jeremy Hunt be Prime Minister? Because so one of the... Obviously, in order to become Conservative leader, you have to get through to the final round where they go, hey, members, here are your tightly controlled choices. And every Labour MP sits there going, oh, God, why didn't we do that? <laughs> um, uh, and basically, the problem is, he's, he's kind of in the same problem <coughs> Chakramuna was having in 2014, where he was kind of going, hey, maybe I'm a Blairite now. And all of the Blairites were just like, mm, I remember when you were a compass guy. And all of the soft left people were like, we thought you were our candidate. And he just ended up in a situation where he couldn't get on the ballot at all. Uh, Jeremy Hunt, with his whole, like, hey, kids, I hear that you like crashing out of the European <laughs> Union. Uh, well, I also like crashing out of the European Union. Obviously, no one who likes crashing out of the European Union believes that to be true. And everyone who doesn't want to crash out of the European Union, the Conservative Parliamentary Party, goes, oh, you're an empty suit. What kept Cameron going in the first round was a bunch of people from Eton who knew him, voted for him, which gave him viability from the get-go. Old... Carthusians. How do you know this? <laughs> you went to a state school in Southport. You Waste. were a sellout. Like, <laughs> wasted, wasted youth. I spent a lot of time on Wikipedia. <laughs> so old Carthusians do not... Can we... Uh, what does someone who went to Marlborough, what are they? Oh, I quickly revealed the weakness of your Wikipedia searching. <laughs> also, I knew a lot of lads from Chouse, as it's, uh, as it's known. What? Chouse, that's what they call it. Chouse. What? Ch Chouse, Chouse, Chouse. Chouse. Anyway, <laughs> 
Have I had an aneurysm? What's happening? Charterhouse. It's a contractive form of Charterhouse. <laughs> we spent like five minutes talking about uh, public school in so Godalming. My new villain of the year is everyone who has ever used the phrase choust. Yeah. To their <laughs> um, I'm going to actually, if this was uh, Who Wants to Be Millionaire, this would be the bit where they bring the lights down a bit because I'm going to go at a higher difficulty level now. Hero or villain? Vince Cable. Do, 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 do. Absolute villain. villain. He's rubbish. Oh, okay, right. Okay, that was quite <laughs> less tortured than I thought it would be. Okay. He, he, he has committed the incredible feat of making Tim Farron look like quite a successful leader of the Liberal Democrats. <laughs> In that at least people knew Tim Farron was there. Yeah, so I have a bias against Vince Cable because, as you will remember, and I'm not sure if it ever made the magazine in the end, but um, his wife admonished me by letter, very official, after I went to go and interview him at his house. Can you say something rude about their interior decor? So, so, this, is the, so this is the thing. I'm, I'm very polite, you know. I, so I went to their house, I politely sat down with Vince Cable in his front room and he compared Theresa May to Hitler. And so I wrote it up. And, you know, that was my big story. I was very pleased with it. But what his wife took issue with, not with her husband saying such incendiary statements about, about the Nazis, was that, I had, <laughs> was that I had wrongly described the climbing plant that was growing around the arch in front of their front door. I'd said it was ivy. It wasn't ivy. I apologise. Did so we she wrote it saying, why mention it if you don't know, you know? Hero or villain? Sir Nick Clegg. Sir Nick Clegg? Yeah, we, I'm sorry, we are a Republican magazine. As, so if you don't get my we free morning email, yeah. we, we do not refer to lords by their names. And there's someone in the House of Lords who every day emails me to correct the fact that I haven't referred to them by... Who? I'm not going to... They might one day give me some useful intel. Okay. I mean, it hasn't happened yet, but... Um, <laughs> it's just not a name that sounds like it should have it's, sir at the front of it. That's what I'm saying. It's a hard, I think it's a harder call to make than, say, I don't know... Cameron, because, you know, you, it's easy to say of the, the big guns, if you can call them, even call them guns, the <laughs> men, the guys of coalition who up sticks and, you know, Cameron quitting in, in, in Whitney or whatever. It's harder to make that call with Clegg because he obviously lost his seat to Jaron Amara last June. So I think it's harder to make the judgment of, like, have you, have you fla- he's not done the flouncing. So I think it's harder to make that judgment call as to whether... You know, he is upsticks. But I suppose in the, in the grand scheme of history, it depends whether you subscribe to that Polly McKenzie sort of thread where she goes, oh, we got our plastic bag tax in return for benefit sanctions. Like, if you think that is like being That's like, you know... That's the former Lib Dem advisor. Yeah, yeah, she did yeah, a very yeah, famous yeah. tweet. that was like, we went down to the wire before conference for what we were going to agree in the quad. And you were like, but we got the plastic bag go, tax. No, no, yeah, no NHS funding for prosthetic legs ever again, but we got our plastic bag tax. Like, that was the... <laughs> Whether you subscribe to that, like, Lib Dem sort of in-coalition logic. Is there a back entrance? Why? In terms of, I say something inflammatory, can we get out that way? <laughs> because, so, I mean, I, I have this weird thing, and I actually think that my objection to Nick Clegg is not what they did in coalition, where their priorities were wrong, but they did, they did at least, you know, stop them doing some terrible things, and, and Ed Davey did make sure that we continued to make some forward strides with, uh, with wind power in particular. My objection to them is the way that Nick Clegg behaved when he was leader of the third party from 2007 to 2010, in which he said a... You're such a hipster. But, <laughs> but ultimately, right, if you I've are... I've seen Nick Clegg policies you people don't even know about. But, <laughs> but if, you're, if you are the third party under first-past-the-post, the best-case scenario is that you get that many seats and you can block the the main party doing some things you don't like. Now, I think that, for example, spending all of that 
capital, both financial and political, on the threshold raise. Terrible decision. But they did at least do fairly well for a third party. The problem is they spent three years wandering around going, oh, the reason why um, we haven't cured world hunger is the two old parties just haven't cared enough. And they knew those things weren't true at the time, right? They knew that their tax plans didn't add up at the time. And the disillusionment from the very easy promises he made from 2007 to 2010, knowing they weren't true, are part of our discontent and destruction now. So, yeah, that is why present Nick Clegg, not a hero, he's like the reverse of the Dark Knight. He lived long enough to see himself become a hero, but ultimately he was a villain because he did say a bunch of things which weren't true about what you could do as the third party. Final one, John McDonnell. Everyone's favourite suburban bank manager. I think, well, you know, again, you know, he, the best way to understand him is sort of as Jeremy Corbyn's navvy. You know, he does the hard work of taking his pickaxe to the, the hard ground and Corbyn sails through on his, on his canal boat, as, you know, it's probably a thing Corbyn likes to do. I mean, that's his. not, I was going to say, that's literally not a metaphor. That is probably uh, Exactly, exactly. Uh, this is the thing that I feel like, I know you, you have a love for people who just will go out and read out any old cobblers on the Mar Pro show. I have a love for John McDonald because the man is always hustling. Uh, yeah. I was on the Mar programme when he was on a couple of weeks ago and we had the breakfast afterwards where you all go to the BBC canteen and eat unpleasantly kind of solid hash browns. <laughs> and Michelle Gibri from the Apprentice was hectoring him about the fact that, you know, she didn't think the Labour was doing enough for business. And he wrote his mobile phone number down on a card and handed it over to her and said, come in any time, Michelle. And I thought, okay. There are other reasons to <laughs> But yeah, I just thought that's... I just, I just don't think Jeremy Corbyn would have been hustling at breakfast over the scrambled eggs in the same way. Someone who literally, you know, has a plaque to IRA hunger strikers in his office and, you know... His middle name is like bombs and bullets and sacrifice and, you know, like, <laughs> he probably wears a balaclava on the bus from Hayes. Uh, <laughs> for him to, like... I, I was watching his speech in, in the sort of third or second day of the Meaningful Vote debate and he, like, literally was turning around on... I mean, I'm not even exaggerating, like, basically genuflecting, like, rhetorically and literally to, like, Ian Paisley Jr. saying, oh, you know, listen, you know, it's our precious union... That is the sort of like political dex- dexterity like we like people call still call Tony Blair the master for. So I mean, regardless of whether you agree with the, the means or the ends, you have got to admire that sort of shameless grifting and grafting. I think. Yeah, he's always hustling. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Would anyone like to nominate a favourite political moment of the year? Go on, you go first, Ananoush. There will be adequate food after Brexit, Dominic Raab promised us. Which I just feel kind of opened the sort of hell mouth to just, like... I can't remember. Who said that? Dominic Raab. It was like, this was before we found out that he didn't realise that Britain was an island. This is going back a bit. (laughs) 
But they just kind of seem to sum up the whole sort of Brexit moment for me, that we've kind of gone from the £350 million from the NHS to you will not literally starve. <laughs> but that was some months ago, so now we've moved on to you might literally starve. Um, no, my favourite political moment was when the two men who were suspected of poisoning the Skripals with Novichok were interviewed by Russia Today. And their excuse for being in Salisbury was that they were on a sightseeing day trip. <laughs> and I loved it because it was like they were two sort of like reluctant year nine boys at the back of the class who had been made to give a geography presentation and they just used Wikipedia because they were like, oh yes, um, the spire is 123 metres high and the clock is the oldest working clock in the world. As if they'd just read all of these little facts off Wikipedia and they were like, this is convincing. Yeah, yeah, keep saying, keep saying stuff about Salisbury. And then the, the least convincing part of that interview was they were like, we were very disappointed not to go to Stonehenge. And, and the interviewer was like, oh, you know, how come you didn't go? And they were like, because it was very snowy. You know, it's like, they're from Russia. <laughs> how did they not make it to Stonehenge? So that was my favourite moment. Uh, quick fire round. Is austerity over? No. 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 But Theresa May said it was? And Philip Hammond said it was several times. I do find it fascinating how freely Theresa May says things which aren't true. <laughs> um, including, including, at least with the I'm ending austerity, I can understand the political argument that their pain point at the last election was well-to-do people who aren't affected by the cuts but are troubled by it and just throwing enough money at the problem that those people don't see the cuts anymore. So I can understand that, but why is she still claiming it's like an implementation period? There cannot be a Brexiteer Tory MP who's like, well, I, I'm not going. I'm going to vote for this deal now. But if it turns out that this transition period is in fact a transition period, well, <laughs> by God and by Saint George, I'll vote against it. That MP does not exist. She just she she's so fond of. Lots of politicians say things which aren't true. Theresa May is the only one who I I can think of who seems to enjoy. But she says things that aren't true even when she doesn't need to. Yeah. She doesn't lie for expediency. Sometimes, I think you know, the thesis, much like the thesis about the fact that Jacob Rees-Mogg is secretly ripped, which I subscribe to heavily. <laughs> this is Duncan Robinson of the uh, say Economist FT. His theory that he's actually just a massive gym rat underneath the uh, double-breasted suits. And I think the same thing with Theresa May. I think Theresa May is just she's she's ball, she's just a baller. She just she takes us all for a ride. It's all carefully constructed facade. Yeah, and I think with austerity, she probably feels she can get away with it because she still gets flattering headlines that are just parroting what she says. So Theresa May signals, you know, end of austerity. It's like when she became prime minister and she made that speech about the burning injustices of society and how she was going to fix them. And Theresa May left wing now. Yeah. yeah. I, I hate that when people just write it up. Don't just write what she's saying. Have a look at what's actually happening around the country. <laughs> well, on that vicious um, subtweet of 90% of political journalism. Yeah. <laughs> let's move on. John, which world leader should cause us the most concern? We've got um, a lot to choose from. It's exciting end times right I'm now. I'm a little bit... I mean, I know, I know absolutely nothing about this, so I'm going to get this horribly wrong, but I'm a little bit worried about Viktor Orban in that, like... You know, Hungary is in the EU, mm -hmm. and it feels like that's not being... The problems going on in the other 27 members do seem to be getting ignored because, like, Britain is now the naughty child. And so, like, it feels like they're kind of letting these guys get away with stuff that they perhaps wouldn't have been before, like, a major member state sort of 
tried to pull the plug on the whole thing? Well, yeah, they had opposition MPs being kind of dragged out of their offices and huge protests over the weekend, incredibly cold temperatures, a big media blackout because so much of the media is now either state-controlled or owned or you know, suppressed in various other ways. Do you want to give us a nomination, Patrick, for a scary world leader? I, I sort of want to say Ian Blackford, but that would... <laughs> <laughs> that would validate his worldview that Scotland is, is an independent country. No, I, for similar reasons... bet with someone or something? <laughs> like, what is going on here? No, I, I, I just, you know, lots of repressed trauma. I would say, for similar reasons as John, uh, and it depends how you define world leader, but I would say uh, Salvini for much the same reasons for sort of pushing the... So that's the Italian, I'm going to say foreign minister. Uh, uh, home, home interior yeah, minister, interior. not the, you know, leader of Leader. Incredibly anti-immigration, populist, yeah, yeah. Uh, very anti-migrant refugee boats. So like, you know, pushing the rules-based order of the EU to its absolute limit, as Orban is doing, with seemingly no retribution for now. Do you want to depress us, Stephen? Pick someone terrible? So I actually go for Mark Zuckerberg. Someone's read the David Runciman book. Yeah. So I was the judge of uh, the Bailey Gifford Literature Prize this year, which is one of the reasons why Patrick hates me, because there was quite a long period of time where it's just like, Patrick, I'm afraid I need you to do this while I read a hundred books. And the thing is, right, is the invention of social media, particularly Facebook, is the biggest change to our politics since the invention of television in terms of how communication works. The terrifying thing is it's happening in a country which has an incredibly def uh, deferential, the most deferential in the democratic world, attitude towards markets and enterprise. So I don't think any of the kind of civilising state effects that you had on, you know, whether it be railways or television or anything, is going to happen in the same way, right? If, if you imagine how our politics would be even though, and I'm sure later on I will start to whine about the BBC and balance, but um, even though I have many concerns about how television in, in this country covers politics, imagine how much worse it would be if we had had to accept as the default the US attitude to its regulation, which is effectively in many ways the position we're in as far as uh, Facebook is concerned. And I think, um, although there are obviously specific local factors in all of these different countries, right? The, 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 one of the reasons why people are reacting to the, to the refugee crisis in such an inhuman and populist way is because of Facebook and the way it amplifies certain messages. We know that it changes our brains and it's meant to do so. It is the definition of power without responsibility. There doesn't seem to be any global force that uh, it has the ability or the geographic location to tackle it. And um, yeah, it's I think the closest really thing to that is the EU. It seems the only people who want to take on those tech giants in any reasonable way. But I think you're right. If you're going to look for the common theme between what's happening in the Philippines under Duterte or, in, as you say, America, the anti-refugee sentiment in Germany, the rise of the alternative for Deutschland, you know, attacks on refugees that are happening there. The Gilets Jaunes protests in France, Ryan Broderick at BuzzFeed wrote a very compelling piece about the fact that that was fostered by Facebook's move to kind of local groups and prioritising local news. I think you can overstate the influence of our Russian interference on the EU referendum and on the US 2016 election, but definitely in, given that both of those were very finely balanced, it's entirely possible that they, they had an effect. So Mark Zuckerberg, probably a good shout. Anoush, can you, would you like to pick a Yeah, a yeah. I'd, I'd say um, Mohammed bin Salman, the um, Saudi crown prince, who has the sort of cool nickname MBS. It sounds like a K-pop band. But yeah, he's sort of treated, even after the um, assassination of the um, Saudi dissident journalist Khashoggi, which was supposed to be this huge international outrage, you still have global leaders sort of posing with him at summits. No one really does anything. I mean, they've done next to nothing about the bombing of Yemen, which is now on the brink of famine. 
And I think it's just, although he's done all of these terrible things, he was written up when he sort of rose to power as this person who was liberalizing Saudi Arabia because suddenly people were allowed to go to the cinema there. And I think it's an example of like the lazy Western press covering a sort of tyrant leader and how nothing that he'll do following the death of this journalist is going to change the way that Britain interacts with Saudi Arabia, even though it gets nothing out of it. Um, because it says it has um, influence in the region if it stays mates with them, but obviously not. Do you want to know something that's really depressing <coughs> that will happen to you as you get older? I know you're a young stripling at the moment, but <laughs> these awful bastards you'll suddenly realise are younger than you. Mohammed oh. bin Salman's like 32. Oh, really? Sorry, John. I know this is very triggering for you. But Kim, <laughs> Kim Jong-un is like 34. I mean, there are people wow. literally who could destroy the planet who have got the same cultural references as me. They probably know the same Friends episodes. Just don't find that very upsetting. One last question before we throw it to the floor. Will there be a general election in 2019? I used to be very much in favour of a general election because, you know, just for banter reasons. Apart from that, we've got this deadlock in Parliament. I just thought, the world is burning. There might as well be some fun stuff to blog about while we do it. But then you've moved me to this new job where I have to edit the New Statesman website and suddenly the idea <laughs> of a general election scares the living crap out of me. For selfish reasons. I'm, I'm anti... You're really I'm, thinking about the national interest I'm, there, aren't you? I'm <laughs> against democracy, really. I think we should just stop <laughs> politics for a while. But do you think there is going to be one, even if you hope there's not going to be one? I mean, what the hell do I know? But I think not. If the response to Labour's attempt at a no-confidence vote this week shows us anything, it's that the one thing that will get the Tory party back in line is the possibility of them slipping away from power. So but I've got a worrying theory, which is that somehow the deal manages to get passed, at which point the DUP pulled the plug, at which point, if the deal's got passed and it's, you know, there's not an immediate economic collapse, Theresa May goes, I feel lucky! I just feel that's quite plausible. I mean, so I'm not going to... I'm going to spare all of you the speech I do every time we have an election where I go, guys, we're about to do a magical thing. A magical thing. Vote. Right? Yep. Yeah. It's really exciting. Most of the world... I lied when I said I wouldn't do it. Hang most on, of, Sam Seaborn in the West Wing. But no, <laughs> most of the world... No, so there's a brilliant moment in uh, the second 1974 election. Would you... <laughs> You can, you can watch on YouTube, in which um, Thingboy McKenzie, the, the great Canadian political scientist, and it's a quiet moment when not much is happening, and he, for no apparent reason, launches on this brilliant speech where he's just like, so it must be the first, because it's a transfer of power. He goes, we're witnessing a beautiful thing, the democratic transfer of power. Most of the, and think most of the world doesn't have it, right? Most of the world does not get to do the thing that we may get to do twice next year. Um, I mean, that's, that, that, that's pretty cool, right? I think we, there is a good chance it will happen because. Mm -hmm. So I think there are there are two things which could cause an election. The first is then the deal passes and the DUP goes. See you later. Yeah, and they have to go. You know, look for our. We have. You know, the whole point is you have to carry through the threat and you have to bring the house down. Um, and so you get an election in that situation. The other possibility is if it does look like we are heading towards uh, a no deal exit, there will be enough Conservative MPs who would, in that situation, vote to shake it up. Except the thing that everyone kind of forgets is even if you have an election, even if you have significant gains by either side, well, unless you have loads of gains by the Conservative Party, which would be historically unlikely at this point uh, in their times, or you have enough gains for the Labour Party to get a decent majority, they'd have to be gaining 90 seats to have a majority big enough to escape the fact that lots of people who get elected in that election would be people who go... Well, I'd, I'd love not to destroy the economy, but I've got a lot of people in small towns who don't like polls, so awkward. <laughs> which means that they would have to pass the withdrawal agreement in its current form, which would mean that the DUP would then have to go, 
The thing is, it's very hard to see how you don't have at least one election after the deal is passed, and you may have to have another election in which everyone runs around pretending that somehow, magically, there is going to be a choice that's not divorce deal or no deal. Which of the two elections next year do you think you'll enjoy most, John? <laughs> Will the first one have this, you know, the, the frisson of novelty? And get the second referendum as well. Oh. Yeah. Anoushi, do, you, do, you want to, do you want to go either way, yes or no? I think it's unlikely. I think it would have happened by this point. I don't think we're going to have another election. OK, you've, you've sued me. <coughs> Stephen, are you going to re-watch a general election broadcast over Christmas? And if so, which one? The difficulty is, right, is that the longer that the Conservatives are in power, I find the Labour winning ones more painful. 1997 is unbearable now, because uh, you've actually got... I think, isn't Jim Callaghan still alive? Yeah, I, I can only watch the ones where the Tories win now. Get used to it. And so, <laughs> so I think... tweeting? <laughs> I think I might do 2010, right? Mandelson puts a performance of his life, right? Because he's just got this... He's clearly got an inner voice in his head just being like, it's over, and I'm just going to annoy as many Tories as I'm on this programme with. So he just will say things just like... So, you know, Theresa May doing this whole... We've gained... Because they've got a line to take right from the beginning. This is the other thing you really pick up when you watch these elections, is how effective a machine they have, right? In 2010 and 2015, they've got an immediate line of, we've done this on both sides. And in 2017, you have this thing where you can tell them the Tory party's just like... Uh, I mean, could that be true? Um, There's a bit where John McDonald genuinely looks at it and goes, well, it might be. I mean... He he tells the story of he was on whatever broadcast it was with Michael Fallon, and he just tells the story about Michael Fallon sort of gripping his arm, (laughs) turning like a mixture of puce and white and saying, this can't be true, and and McDonald's like, well, he's like, sure it isn't, Michael. (laughs) everyone, Everyone was so confused in that moment. Like, and, you know, the, the broadcast, you know, you read accounts of the broadcasters, like, we, you know, we rehearsed every scenario, including one where Diane Abbott's seat, which has a, you know, a million majority, was taken by the Tories on a, you know, billion percent swing. And, you know, literally no one anticipated that. So I mean, of brilliant. all the banter yeah. results. I like, I like the one Tory backbench MP who was doing media rounds the next morning still saying strong and stable. Yeah. It was really cute. In May 2016, I and Connor Pope, then of Labour List, he came to my house, I cooked loads of food. We watched 2015 again. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, have you ever rewatched the EU referendum night? No, that's too painful. Right. Uh, I mean, also, I, I actually didn't see it at the time because I was... Oh, you were in the ITV green room? I was in room. the ITV green room, so it's a very bitter experience. Them coming like on at four and be like, we've decided we don't need you. <laughs> we, don't we don't want to hear from your kind anymore. Remain or Labour implications to this. And it's one of those things just like, <laughs> but some people have already resigned from the front bench, so I, I feel that maybe you could give me some money to... No, no. And then they ushered me out of the door. But... Well, on that sad note, thank you all so much for coming. Please subscribe to New Statesman if you don't. Subscribe twice, subscribe for your friends if you would like to. And um, thank you very much for coming. Good night. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always dive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.